This is a 3CR podcast. And this is Published or Not. I was once told that short stories are the hardest to write because you have to have multiple gripping beginnings and just as many convincing endings. Paige Clark has done just that in her book, She is Haunted. Welcome, Paige. Hi, Jan. Thank you for having me. Now, Paige, you've got 18 short stories and many have a theme which is hinted at by the title of the first story, and that's Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Who was she? She was a psychiatrist, and she's most famous for her work in the five stages of grieving, which she detailed in her book on death and dying. So those are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Well, the first story is not about her, but it is about bargaining. So... Who was the bargaining between? In this story, the bargain is between the narrator and God. I guess he um, he's God, but he resembles um, just a gentleman that <laughs> walks up and almost would be selling you something at your house. Uh, he's kind of a door-to-door salesman. And he wants to take um, the narrator's husband. And she immediately starts bargaining with him about what she can give God instead of her husband. So we have at one point her mother's death, a quote, I bathe in relief, no take backs, God, she is ready for the ground. And from that little uh, short story, I'm going to get you to read from page four to see a mother-daughter's relationship here. At her funeral, I am fat with child. My brother gives the eulogy. He only lies a little. She was a fantastic mother, he says, and an even better grandmother. She was very good with short crust. So that's what the daughter has to say about her. Her mother was very good at short crust. So so there's stages of grief, not just with the death, but also through the breakdown of relationships. So I, I just sort of thought there was that absolute anger in the short story about the mother cutting the daughter's hair. Why was the daughter so angry? Oh, the anger. Well, in the story about the mother cutting the hair, what happens is the mother has hair loss and becomes, you know, very jealous or triggered by the daughter's hair. And she sort of cuts the daughter's hair in a fit of rage. I think that there's a lot to be angry in that. Um, I think that any kind of act that's an act of violence. And I think that um, that moment is sort of when the daughter realizes how much her mother has, you know, been controlling her behavior and hiding things from her. Um, And then it kind of, you know, becomes outward in this very physical act of the cutting of hair. And then there's complete contrast in another short story, Gwendolyn Wakes. The mother there is so left out of everything you know the only things that she does for the daughter that the daughter acknowledges is she makes exactly the right lunches for that daughter to take to work well I guess there's a real kind of spectrum and often within you know one parent as well it's not like every parent is a perfect parent I think that they have you know all of those kind of multitudes there's denial a stage of grief and that comes out so well in the safety triangle and this is the quote she didn't know how to be a daughter how could she be a mother and 
Another one about mothers grieving, another quote from this book, mother grieves the only way she knew how, with extreme self-pity. Oh, and if you can take another quote, a mother's email. When people ask what you are doing, I will say that I tried my best and it was not good enough for you. Oh, there's some hurt here. And what about a little bit more from page 145, Paige? There's a quote that goes, Gaga, will you translate for me? See, my mother was born in a foreign tongue. And though her English is perfect and her Chinese broken, I don't understand her. I never learned. She is of no language I know. Do you think mother and daughter relationships are culturally different? I don't think that it was necessarily a cultural difference between my mother and I. I think that mother and daughter relationships are inherently really complicated, um, especially for my generation, because I think that my mother, you know, saw that I had a lot of different opportunities than she did. Um, she was kind of of that generation that she could be a nurse or a teacher or a housewife. Uh, and, you know, she wanted more for me. And then similarly, she was a second generation immigrant living in California of, you know, both of her parents had immigrated from China. And, you know, there was obviously so much racism that was happening in central California during the 1950s. So I think she tried very hard to prepare me for those experiences that she had had, but then my world was so different. And so I think there's a lot of tension um, there, but I don't know if that's, you know, any different between mothers because it, the landscape has changed so much for women in the past, you know, 50 years that it's very difficult sometimes for mothers to sort of see the world that their daughters are actually operating in. I think our daughters probably have a bigger choice of partners to choose from too. And this whole aspect of relationships is very strong. This is partnerships through the book. And when they break up, we also see a variety of stages of grief. So that was that was an idea of the book too. Yes, absolutely. I think that, you know, even a friendship breaking down, any kind of relationship ending, there's relationships, you know, with dogs that pass away or um, dogs that get taken away as well. I think that, you know, I really see my life very relationally. I relate to you know, I see the world through how I relate to other people. And so that's really the only way that I could write it. And, you know, any loss, any time when you're not speaking with someone, whether it's a physical death or it's just um, that separation for whatever reason of time, even so painful. In a physical death, we do have the times I've wanted to be you. And that was just such a denial of her husband dying. What was she doing? In that story, what she does is that she doesn't want to lose her husband. So instead, she sort of begins to give up herself. Um, the narrator begins to wear his clothes um, and sort of starts to take on his personality. I'm in this attempt not to lose him. And I think that, not to quote myself, but there's a line in there that says, it's easier sometimes to lose yourself than someone else. And I think that that's, again, not just with physical deaths, though. You see that, you know, when new relationships begin, um, you're so desperate to hang on or impress this person that you let go a lot of parts of yourself to try to fit into this new person's world. Actually, 
that fits in beautifully. What would you give up to keep a relationship? Would you become a vegetarian? That happens in private eating. Would you clone the family pet? Or would you accept rough sexual encounters? There's a lot of quick sexual encounters with your characters. Perhaps it's got something to do with one of them saying, you only know how to express yourself through sex or tantrums. Is that true of a younger generation? uh, I think that most people are looking for connections in different ways. And sometimes sex feels, you know, like an an easy option. I don't know if it always works out um, the way that you hope when you're sort of approaching that intimacy through sex but definitely there's an expression that happens in that act and I think that the characters this goes back into this idea of you know sort of grief and desperation I think oftentimes you know sex is maybe where people turn when they're in these at the lowest of lows and you're desperate for just kind of a quick connection with someone because you feel so alone. Mm. The title of the book She is Haunted is also the title of one of the short stories and this one comes close to the end of the book. There's two different narrators in this short story. What do they have in common? Well, both of the narrators are ghosts. They're both dead. Um, And they're also in the same family, even though it's sort of this idea of two realities. So in the first one, the daughter has died and she haunts her mother. In the second, the mother has died and she haunts their daughter. And they're really supposed to be the flip sides of the same coin, the same relationship. Um, but you know, the sort of premise of the story is what would it be like if you died and you were haunting, you know, this loved family member? There are other ghosts who give them guidance. Neil, the astronaut who went to the moon, and Elvis with blue suede shoes. Look, that was quite comical. That was really funny. But this was a short story that you published first. So quite independently to the rest of this book. So was this the jump off point for the other short stories? It wasn't the first story that I wrote for the book, but I do think it is the point where the book comes together. So this sort of premise that there are these alternate realities or it's the same relationship, but they're operating in kind of different spaces. That's really the premise for the entire book. So I really see these short stories as being renditions of the same characters. Um, They have slightly different names. You know, they sometimes have slightly different races or different jobs, but they're really these iterations Um, that are sort of reflecting the different moments maybe in one person's life if they had taken you know a different path or they had made a different choice um, and their life had ended up in a different space so I think that when I wrote that story I sort of realized how it was all going to come together so in that way it is really that moment where okay this is how this world is connected. When I was reading that that short story I thought oh I, I know that character from before or, you know, oh, I've read about that incident. And this is also what you achieved in the short story right towards the end, what we deserve. And we once again looked at the two sides, the mother telling the story and then the daughter sat telling the story. But this one was so current. You had written it through COVID lockdown and where had you set what we deserve? but it's set in a retirement home and they have really, really strict rules about hygiene and visitors and sort of claustrophobic environment, um, you know, where the narrator can't leave this aged care setting. We get it from the mother's side. 
with short stories, you have to have that really gripping first line. And the first line of this one is, when Rosa was a young woman, she stole a car and sold it for cash. Now, Rosa is quite much older and we get her story, we get her daughter's story because we've read about it before. <laughs> and I thought that was very, very, very interesting, so, which leads us to be interested in rereading the book, which is a very clever page. The story she is haunted, haunting suggests ghosts, superstitions, futuristic scientific operations or fortune cookies. Or maybe one character who was sleeping with a celestial being. But I think what it does have is this whole feeling, another quote, part of living is being afraid of dying. Yeah, I think you really touched on something there. So I'm actually not a very spiritual person, but I think that all of these sort of spiritual acts that the characters engage in, it's all looking for meaning. And I think that there was a moment in my life where I read a lot of horoscopes and I didn't really believe them, but I wanted to understand. I wanted to understand, you know, why things happened or why people were the way that they were. So I think all of these characters, you know, even the ghosts, they're all trying to figure out how, how to get through this life um, and, you know, how, how to keep going. Well, next book page, Clark, do you think it's going to be more short stories or are we going to have, do you only have to do one beginning and one ending? Well, I like the beginnings and the endings. That's kind of the easiest place for me to start. I often, when I write a story, I know what the ending is. So I'm writing towards that ending. Um, and oftentimes the first line will kind of come to me. Not that, you know, I don't really believe in this sort of art that it takes a lot of work. I don't believe it just comes to you, but sometimes the first line is the easiest place. So I'm a little bit scared because I get a bit bored in the middle. Uh, <laughs> I don't, but I, I think I, I will always keep writing short stories because I love it as a form. I think that it can express a lot. I always say I'd be a poet if I if I could be, but I'm, you know, not good enough at the line level to be a poet. So a short story is my compromise. Well, Paige, when family stories are not told or things go unsaid between mothers and daughters or a relationship ends, there is a little death. The grief is played out in many ways through the short stories by Paige Clark in She Is Haunted. Thank you very much, Paige. Thank you so much for having me. And now it's David's turn. In a Freaky Friday type transmutation, 40-year-old Holly finds herself in the body of teenager Trinity. But as author Gabrielle Williams will explain, there's more to this alteration than meets the eye. So Gabrielle, welcome to 3CR. Thank you, David. It's so nice of you to have me. Now, there are some very unusual factors about this body switch. You change <laughs> continents and you change years. And both of those carry with them difficulties or challenges that you have to address. You know, it's so funny that you bring that up right from the start. I'm almost getting traumatised thinking about how complex it was for me to put this all together. Because the typewriter that is in the book is actually a real typewriter that I did actually get at a, an op shop. And it really genuinely inspired this whole story. 
And this typewriter was actually made in 1979 because you can look up the tag on the back and see. So I knew that it was a typewriter that would have been being typed on in 1980. And um, so I always knew that there was going to be the 40-year difference. And then I just decided that I would make it really complicated by setting it in Los Angeles. <laughs> it's kind of fun to set it in LA because, I don't know, I just sort of thought it was a fun thing to do. But it did end up becoming a very, very complicated for me to work out how the soul swap happened and why. You've got the challenge, first of all, of language. America actually speaks a different language when you look at it closely. Yeah, amazing. And in fact, that's one of the things that happens early on in the book um, is Holly, who is the 40-year-old who is now in this 16-year-old's body, she looks at the newspaper and the front headline of the newspaper has got the word kidnapped on it. And the first thing that she thinks is they've spelt it wrong. Because in America, in Australia, as you know, we have double P for kidnapped. In America, it's one P. There's a lot of language, it's spelling that is different. And there are a lot of words that we use, of course, things like sweater instead of jumper, um, trash instead of rubbish bin, curb instead of footpath, you know, all these things that a natural Australian will not, I mean, they might get it, but they would always instinctively use the Australian when they were talking in America. And we actually went to LA just to get the flavour of it to add to the book. The book was pretty advanced by that stage. And in fact, going over to America was such a great experience for me because I went to the Central Library, LA Central Library. I went and I read the newspapers from the, those times from 29th of February 1980 all the way through for that first week and there was a kidnapping so that whole thing about the kidnapping when Holly looks at it I actually had that experience of reading that kidnapping and thinking oh my god there's a massive spelling mistake on the front page of the LA Times. <laughs> Let's just touch on that connection there's a leap year and there's a particular significance about this particular leap year which connects Holly and Trinity. Yes, well, I don't believe in horoscopes or numerology, but then I kind of also secretly do, but I don't. <laughs> that weird combination. So I feel like things like 29th of February is really a significant date because, I mean, it is literally called the date of resetting, which um, I use in the book. And because, as we know, that um, every four years, it is literally to reset the calendar. But the 29th of February 1980 is the last leap year that happens at the start of a new decade before the new millennium. So I felt like that was a very significant date. It felt like a significant date. It was a sort of date that only happens once in a thousand years. But it's also a very classical thing to do. I mean, Shakespeare did it with an equinox, Midsummer Night's Dream, at that transition point during yes. the course of the year in an equinox. So it actually yes. has a classical sort of reference there. Yes, that's exactly right. There is a mysticism that is in the world and things like 29th of Feb, 
the midsummer, you know, the equinoxes, as you mentioned, starts of new decades, new millenniums. I mean, they do feel, there feels like there is something spiritual there. There's the potential for the imagination to take flight at those points in time. Now, you also yes. bring in rhesus null. Can you explain that? Because that took me by surprise a little. <laughs> and how did you come to put it in? So first of all, rhesus null or RH null is a term for a particular blood type. And... It is a very extremely rare blood type. If you have this type of blood, there is probably only like maybe a little bit over 40 people in the entire world who has this same blood type as you. And you cannot be given blood from anyone else who has got a blood type different from you because it actually, your blood cannot cope with any other blood type apart from this particular one. Now you've got basically the leap year connecting these two characters and it's also the rhesus null blood type that connects these two characters but they're also connected through the typewriter you mentioned before. <laughs> yeah. Okay well look I love coincidences I absolutely love them. I think that they're really, really fun. I think that they happen a lot in real life and I always find them kind of intriguing. And I often build coincidence into my books. And because they swapped souls, which for me is such an extreme event, it's so unbelievable. It can't happen. But if it could happen, if it did happen, it could only happen if there was a perfect storm of reasons or, or connections between these two souls. And for me, that was a big part of plotting the book and drafting the book was building up all of those different little connections between them. So, yes, they're both leap year babies. In fact, the day that the book is set, the 29th of February, 1980, is the day that Holly is actually born. So one of them turns 16 on the day that the other one is born. And Holly actually is born in LA. And they both have this extremely rare blood type. Essentially, they are soulmates who have been soulmates through the years, through, through the centuries. But in this particular lifetime, they probably were not going to connect. But for many reasons... The, it becomes very important for them to step in and sort of save each other. They also need that typewriter in order yep. to keep in touch with each other across yep. time and across the continent or yeah. continents. The <laughs> yeah. other thing you do then is you actually change the focus of the character towards the end. The book is predominantly about Holly and her experience but then you switch to Trinity at the end. And I'm curious about that. Yeah, well, look, it, we actually, my editor and publisher and I had a really interesting conversation when I first, when they first signed the book. And we discussed, because it's a young adult book and it's got a 40-year-old in it, that's why we actually ended up deciding to have it all in the 16-year-old's body because that feels much more uh, interesting for 
as a reader to kind of like see this person who has life experience but is now put back into a brand new life which is unfamiliar to them in the teenage years which are always going to have elements of learning to them so it was always going to focus mainly on trinity we always wanted to focus on the on the 16 year old's life and at once most of the time most drafts of the book actually had going back and forth between 1980 and 2020 a bit more of a conventional approach to the soul swap thing where you can see both characters how they're dealing with the events that are surrounding them and then probably about draft 12 my editor and publisher both said why don't you take out the 2020 parts and they said because Trinity was really struggling in 2020. They said it's more fun seeing her reacting to the the world of 2020 through the letters, which we already had, which go back and forth between them. So the typewriter, which Holly buys in 2020, is the final perfect element that connects the two of them, even though it's the first thing that the reader sees. It's actually the final element that connects them together. And that's the thing that makes it that they can swap because they've got that physical thing between them. So we did decide to take all of Holly out. And then we decided that because we hadn't had any of the 2020, it felt right to just stay in 1980. And then then we get to have that experience of spending a bit of time with Trinity as herself in her body, in her life. And it feels very satisfying. I hope it feels satisfying for the reader as well. But for me, it felt really satisfying to finally bring her back and for us to have that connection back with her. It also then ties up the reason why that transmutation has taken place, which is something we can't actually go into because that would give away the storyline, but you have already alluded to it in the interview when you talked about kidnapping and such. So there's more to this story than meets the eye, the reason for them crossing spirits, because yes, they need to protect each other. So we will have to leave the listener and the reader to find out what that ultimate reason is for themselves but the book is it's not you it's me the author is gabrielle williams and it's an alan and unwin release so gabrielle thank you very much for talking with me today oh thank you david i really enjoyed it it was really fun thanks for listening tune in next week for more authors on published or not you've just been listening to published or not on 3cr You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.